Speaking of that, Wednesday evenings, we have plenty of room for you to come down and join us on Wednesday evenings, to come down and do some singing and uh, be here to fellowship and uh, get into the Word of God together. So uh, don't be shy to come on down and, uh, and join us on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. And what I'd like to do is just read uh, the, the passage, the portion of Scripture from verse 10 through verse 16. I don't know that we'll get through all that tonight. I'm pretty sure we won't. Um, I know that's shocking. But um, I do want to read the whole section there because uh, it's, it's tied together. So even if we have to come back to it um, next week to, to finish up, we'll at least have read through it, and then probably next week I'll read through the whole thing again as well. But it's, it's sort of naturally broken up into two sections, um, but I'm going to go ahead and read the, the whole thing for us. Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. And abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking, godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. And we spent the last couple of weeks looking at the Lord's rebuke and cursing of the priests uh, for not believing that his name should be honored. They didn't, they didn't lay it to heart, is what the scripture said. Um, what they had been doing and offering polluted sacrifices, uh, tarnished and corrupted God's name and his covenant with Levi in the eyes of the people. The priests had caused the people to stumble by their uh, corrupted actions and instruction. Some of the results... Uh, of which are evident in this next portion of Scripture. Okay, um, Now we will see a shift in the target of Malachi's rebuke. He, he shifts away from a focus on the priests and now goes on to, to the people collectively. And, and there are two things that he's going to charge them with. Um, but both of them are, are connected. Like I said, these, these two sections that this is kind of broke up in are, are connected. 
Um, both of them have far-reaching effects. Uh, these sins have both have to do with covenant-breaking. And they both result in dishonoring God again, okay? which we've seen all the way through chapter 1 and, and up till now. Um, constantly, this, this dishonoring of God and not believing that God is who he said he is and that his name will be honored. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll begin tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time to be here. We thank you for the singing. We thank you for your word. Lord, your perfect word that you have given us, that we get to come and gather around and hear from you, Father, as we read the words from the pages. We get to hear what you have said. And what you have said, Lord, is, is not a mistake. It's never in error. It's never uh, irrelevant. Father, it has meaning all throughout our lives. And I pray, Lord, tonight that, that we would take to heart what we hear. Lord, that we would be reminded that your name deserves honor. And Father, that we would be thinking about these things in terms of our own Christian lives tonight and how we can apply them to living a life that's worthy of the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, for, for salvation that you have given us freely through your Son. And we thank you, Father, that you have made that possible. Um, by your grace and your mercy and your kindness through the gift of faith, Lord. And so we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So verse 10. Verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? In case... Uh, any of the other Israelites had forgotten that Malachi was one of them. He, re- he reminds them of that in this, in this verse in the, with the pronouns he uses, we and us. He kind of he includes himself in that in verse 10 as he appeals to them with a couple of rhetorical questions. Okay, So he's, he's one of them. He's not, he is a prophet of God, but he's not separate or from somewhere else. He's one of them. Okay, And he has these <clears throat> rhetorical questions that that he's asking them and those the first two questions there have we not all one father has not one god created us uh, are, are his questions and he doesn't need the answers to these questions for sure the people aren't hearing these questions and then standing around wondering what do you mean <laughs> I, I don't know what you mean by that um, they they all know that the answers to these questions are yes Okay, the, the only thing they may have been wondering is, what's your point? Get to your, get to your point, Malachi. And we, and we saw that through chapter 1 with the way that Malachi will, will make statements or bring charges against them and then basically answer for them with what they're saying from their heart. He knows, he knows because of the leading of the Spirit what is in their heart uh, there. So he's responding to that, and that's what, that's what he does here as well. Okay, have we not all one Father, and has not one God created us? First of all, we know that Malachi is not teaching that God is the father of every human being. Okay, How do we know that? Because Scripture tells us that. God has has indeed created everything and everyone. We know that to be true. Uh, But it is not the case that every human being is a child of God. So that can't be what Malachi is referring to here. 
Um, it's very common in our time to hear people confidently say um, about the whole human race, well, we're all children of God. And it's usually meant in some sort of uh, encouragement, some, to, to lift people up in some way, uh, to, to encourage them with those words. But it's really not true. So it brings me to my first question. And remember, this is a place where we can ask and answer questions. You guys can f- feel free to, to respond. So my first question is, whether talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, what does it take to become a child of God? I had two different things. What did you say, Vic? Okay, being born again. Yeah. Belief or faith, right? Okay. Absolutely. But it begins actually with something even before that. I, I think the quick answer to that is an act of God. That's what it takes to become a child of God, an act of God. Okay? And involved in that is those things that have been mentioned. Faith um, and, and being born again. All those things are um, an act of God. Okay? God chooses and God gives the gift of faith. And God chose Abraham and Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, it's very important. We're all, all these human beings, we're all walking around the earth, but, but not everyone is a child of God. Something has to happen to make you a child of God. That's why the scripture talks about adoption. Okay, that we've been adopted. Um, we become his children by God's grace and his mercy through faith in Jesus Christ, all of it being a gift of God. Okay? Um, so this, this helps inform us that Malachi is specifically re- referring to the people of God. Okay? In, this, in this verse here, that's what he's referring to, the people of God, Israel, and, and not every human being. And these questions are, are directed at the children of God, and the answer is, of course, yes to these questions. We all have one Father. Um, and, of course, uh, the answer to the other question is yes also. Okay? One God has created them. And the idea here, again, is very targeted. God created this people um, and every human being in creation. And then human beings make more human beings, and that's how it goes. God has created everything in that sense. But God created this people, Israel, out of all the other people. Okay? They were not a people, and God made them a people. Um, he loved Jacob and hated Esau, as we saw in chapter 1. Okay? This, is a, this is an act of God. So they have one Father and one God who created them. Okay? So Malachi is making this very personal. He's, he's not including everybody on the planet. He's talking about the people of God here. Okay? He's getting their attention with this. This is special um, to them. Uh, it's, a, it's a reminder of the lasting and special relationship between God the Father and his chosen people Israel. They are his children because he has made them his children. He chose them to be his people and he entered into covenant with them. Okay? Which leads to the seeming disbelief of Malachi when he asks the next question in light of that special relationship that we just talked about. And what's his, his next question there in, in, chapter, in verse 10? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? 
How can this be? That's, that's what he's getting at. Have you forgotten your heavenly father? Yes, they have. Okay, this is uh, sort of, a, it seems shocking in a sense to Malachi that, that what is going on could be going on in light of who their father is and in light of his choosing of them um, out of everyone else. He accuses them of being faithless to one another. Your Bible might say, uh, deal treacherously with one another. How many of your Bibles say treacherously? Yeah, we've got a, got a number of those there. Um, and, and profaning the covenant of their fathers. Now, when he mentions the covenant of their fathers, he's referring back to uh, the covenant that God made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as well as the covenant with Levi that we talked about last week. These are, God has made covenants with them, okay? So when they say of our fathers in that sense, it's not referring back to God as their father, as we've just been talking about, but back to their, their fathers that God made covenants with, okay? Um, Israel's faithlessness or treachery uh, as your Bible say, uh, means that they have been unfaithful. Okay? They've, they've gone back on their word in deceitfulness. The Hebrew word used here means to act treacherously or deceitfully. It describes a person who's a traitor, who violates, uh, violates their allegiances. He is a, a betrayer. And this, this is demonstrated in the behavior of God's people after he took them into the promised land as recorded in, in Psalm 78, verses 56 and 57. It says, Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously. Like their fathers, they twisted like a deceitful bow. Okay, this is, this is not new. <laughs> it's, unfortunately, it's not new for, for God's people. Okay, and, and this, this idea of dealing treacherously is, is powerfully illustrated later on in the next section uh, when we see the use of it in terms of um, the, the husbands divorcing their wives. Okay, they were, they were dealing with them treacherously is what we'll see when we get there. Um, so, but here we see that this treachery has caused them to, is that a word, treachery? Does anybody know? It sounds like a word. Hopefully it is. <laughs> I just, when I said it, it just didn't sound right. Uh, but we see that it has caused them to profane the covenant of their fathers. Okay, that is that they have polluted or degraded the covenant. Okay, they've, they've defiled it, they've desecrated it, or uh, abused it with irreverence and contempt. Um, and worse, they've made it to be profaned in the eyes of the people. In the, in the eyes of other people is... It's seen with contempt. God is seen with contempt. Again, his name is not honored. Okay, and what, what they have done, well, what have they done? It, what has this caused, um, what has caused this charge to be brought against them from God through Malachi? Uh, we'll, we'll answer that question in a moment, but first let's get a little more specific with who is being addressed. Okay. We have mention in, in this passage of Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem in the next verse. Um, if you look there, you'll see that. Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the point here is that this treachery is, is everywhere. Okay? It's, it's among all of the people in all of the land of the people 
And by mentioning Jerusalem, he's stating that this infection of sin uh, is even at the center of the life of the people of God uh, in their covenant relationship with God in Jerusalem. Okay, it's, it's everywhere. It's all, all over the land. Um, it's found everywhere. Verse 11, let's look at that. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Okay, what has happened because of this faithlessness or treachery? Abomination has been committed. That's what this faithlessness or treachery has caused. Abomination has been committed. Now, at Christmas time, you start hearing familiar songs played in stores, and one of them is about, oh, you have a question? Okay. Yes. That's I think it's it's both. It's both both the treachery, it's that marriage that we'll get to is both treachery and abomination. It's both of it. Um so yeah, they're they're both involved in the same thing. Yes. That's right. Yeah, we'll, yeah, save that for a minute because we're going to be getting to that and then you'll be able to chime in when we get there too. Um, absolutely. But, well, if you chime in now, then, then when I get to where I'm going to talk about it, it's old news. <laughs> it's okay. I don't mind. Keep, keep bringing up your questions. It's, it's perfectly fine. But yeah, you know, I think you're right to think, to think that, that about the treachery. Uh, to do what they were doing is treachery, and it is abomination. So it's, it's both. Um, so, uh, where was I? Oh, Christmas. Christmas time. We start singing all these songs. You hear them played, and there's a, a particular song about a snowman. Frosty the snowman. And what is he? He's a, he's a jolly, happy soul, right? But what about the other snowman? This other snowman that doesn't get a song, and he's the abominable snowman. Uh, you know, not too many people know about the abominable snowman, but I know about him from when I was a kid. People talked about the abominable snowman. I think there was even a, one of those claymation cartoons about, that had the abominable snowman in it. Uh, but he doesn't get a song, uh, and, and we've all heard about him. And even as, even as a kid, I, I knew that because he was called abominable, he was bad. He was, he was really bad, and, and I, was, I was to think he was bad. It was normal to think that, that the abominable snowman was bad. Um, but I had no idea what the word meant or why he was called the abominable snowman. I just knew he was bad. The word even sounds bad, right? Abominable. It just sounds, sounds bad. You wouldn't eat anything called, called that. Um, but so here's my, here's my question. So what does abominable or abomination mean? Is it, is it really that bad? 
What, what does that word mean? Abomination. Okay, that's true. It's something God hates. Absolutely. What else? Any other? Something totally against what is right. Sure. Offensive to what is right. Okay, good. Other thoughts on that? You don't hear that word too often, but it, usually when you hear it, 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 it should make you think some things. Uh, but sometimes I think the fact that we don't necessarily know how to define abomination, it, it's one of those words that can, like we go, yeah, that's bad, and then, and then it just goes. And we don't really know how bad, right? And, and the idea of, of abomination is some of what has already been said tonight, that which is hated by God. Just, it, just think about that one thing for a minute. This is, whatever this is, whatever this abomination is, is hated by God. Okay, it's, it's repulsive, it's disgusting, it's repugnant. Things that are loathsome to him. And these are probably more familiar words to us than abomination because um, we don't normally use it, but we, we use words like disgusting and repulsive. We know what that is. It's, this word is, is quite often used in Scripture to describe how God sees the behavior of his own people and how they follow after the practices of pagan uh, nations. Okay, the things that they do, the things that those nations do are abominations to God. So that God's people would follow those nations, they're following in, in abomination. Okay? And there's a, a few scriptures that I wanted to, to look at. And, and the first one is dealing with idolatry in Deuteronomy 7, 25 and 26. It says, the carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. Okay? And here God's talking about of the pagan nations. He's telling his people what to do with, with their stuff. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. Okay, that's just that's dealing with these carved images, with these false gods that these nations would, uh, would worship. God did not want his people taking those things and, and wanting those things. They were to completely destroy those things. Uh, they, were, they were an abomination. They wanted nothing to do with it. Something else that's an abomination. Lying. Proverbs 12, 22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Okay, sometimes we think of idolatry and all these other really bad things. And we don't really think lying is that bad, but God says it's an abomination to him. It's very serious. In the area of sexuality, Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. <clears throat> Excuse me. Deuteronomy 22.5 A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. 
Turn with me, if you will, over to Proverbs chapter 6. There's a slightly bigger section I want to look at there. Proverbs chapter 6. Turn there in your Bibles. And we'll look at verses 16 through 19, okay? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There's seven things here that are abominations, okay? Verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, okay, or or proudness, Uh, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Okay, those things are abominations. That's the the level of terribleness of what Malachi says is happening. That abomination has been committed, he says. Something disgusting, something loathsome, repulsive in God's sight has taken place even in Jerusalem. Okay? What is it? What is that bad? Well, as was already brought up, the men are marrying the daughters of foreign gods. Now, Wait, that wasn't on the list of things we just looked at. Well, that's not that list that we went through and a couple other verses we looked at is not an exhaustive list of all the things that are an abomination to the Lord. You can go through the scriptures and find all kinds of things that are an abomination to the Lord. Okay. Um, So, question. Why would God not want his people to marry the daughters of foreign gods? Why is that so important that his people don't marry the daughters of foreign gods? Right. So, um, what was said for those watching online is that uh, it, those those foreign women who believe in other gods they lead the men of God away from him. That's what you. That's what you said? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the first thing I have on my list. They would, they would be turned to their so-called gods. Now, for those that think, well, I can do this and I won't be turned, don't, don't think that. Yeah, it, it won't be. Okay? The Scripture says they'll be turned to their gods. Okay? Don't marry them. Any other things you can think of, other reasons why God would not want his people. I mean, that's clearly the most important one. But other reasons. <laughs> oh, that's too simple, you know, because he said so. <laughs> but it's true. Because he said so. To be obedient. That's, that's a reason not to do it. Right. Um, turn to, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter... Seven. We're going to be jumping around today, looking at some different different passages. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter seven, and we'll look at verses three through six. 
Okay, and this, so what we've been talking about, the people know. They already know that this is a command of God, okay, not to do this. Verses 3 through 6, Deuteronomy 7. Uh, as soon as I find three, there it is. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Does it sound like there's any wiggle room there? No. God is, is very clear on his command not to marry, not to give in marriage to those who worship foreign gods. <clears throat> this is, is not new, okay? What Malachi is dealing with here um, in, in the book is not new. The people have done this before, and not even that long before. Ezra dealt with the, the people doing this, and so did Nehemiah. Um, and in Ezra, we can see his reaction to, to God's people intermarrying with pagans. Uh, and it's quite a strong reaction that we see regarding, regarding this. And it's because you know, we read this command from Deuteronomy, from God, about not doing this. And so when God's people are doing this and, and the, the godly people, the leadership, uh, are made aware of it, um, they should be dealing with it harshly. But what we have in Malachi's day is the priests aren't, they're not dealing with anything harshly. They're, they're letting everything slide. Okay, they're, that's why we, we saw that um, it was, they were causing the people to stumble because of their instruction. Let's turn to Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9, we'll look at verses 1 through 6. Just to get an idea here of the, the gravity of, of this kind of thing. Ezra chapter 9, starting in verse 1. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, with their abominations from the Canaanites, uh, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this Faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men, has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of 
the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Oh, thanks. So this is clearly extremely serious. Uh, and, and if you caught it in there, um, he was saying that... Thanks, Doug. I'm going to get a tickle in my throat. I'm becoming my dad. <clears throat> I used to make fun of my dad for getting glasses of water during sermons. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so if you notice in there, where did it say that the worst of this was happening? Yeah, the priests. Not only were they approving of it, but it was, it was foremost among them. Okay, that's, that's not good. But you see the, the reaction that, uh, that was there from Ezra. Any, uh, any thoughts come to mind while we were reading that? Anything you found interesting in there? Yeah, it's a. Yeah, the comment is that uh, it's it's really hard for churches even now, uh, if I understand what you're saying, to yeah to keep God's people holy, to keep God's people separate from the world, and that's what was not happening. They they were intermingling with the pagans or the unbelievers. Yeah. It's funny, I was, as I was, right, right, yeah, we don't talk about divorce a whole lot. I was, while I was studying this, I came across a, a story, and I can't remember all of it, but the basic idea of it was that the pastor was getting up before the church to preach, and the text of scripture was dealing with divorce, and so he got up to preach wearing a suit of armor, and, you know, with the helmet and everything, and, and then... <laughs> He, he lifted the little metal thing in front of his mouth and said, today we're going to talk about divorce. You know, and that's all it said, but basically it had the idea of it's, this is a subject we, we normally try to avoid, right? And, and if you bring it up, be ready for all the things to come flying at you, so you've got to wear this suit of armor. That was kind of the idea of it. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, and, and part of the problem is that there's been, even in our day, and, and ever since 
we've been created. You know, there's a, a, a wandering from God among his people. And as the church tries to uh, appeal to unbelievers, we become, we slowly let more and more things come, be more and more acceptable in the church. And we don't want to, you know, talk against things and that kind of thing. So we've, we've lost some of the accountability that there's supposed to be. Um, and, and so, yeah, that makes it difficult. Right. Well, you're, you're jumping ahead again. That's one of my questions near the end, so we'll get there. <laughs> you guys are just too smart. Uh, so, the seriousness of what we've just been reading there, this is why God is coming down on the people that Malachi is prophesying to. This is why they're, um, this is what they're doing. But it's not just that. I mean, this, this abominable stuff is what they're doing. And it's not just that. They're leaving their wives for these unbelieving women, okay, which, which we'll get into the next time. These are, these are idolatrous women. They're described as the daughter of a foreign god. Okay, that's significant. It's not just that, you know, these women are, you know, they come from a different, different town or something like that. They are attached to this foreign god. Like, like we refer to ourselves as children of God, our God, Yahweh. Okay, but these foreign women, these are uh, daughters, like we would be sons and daughters of our God, right? They are daughters of their false God. Okay, that's the seriousness of this. Uh, And the men are going after them. They're going after these women into idolatry. And as we read before, they'll be turned. They'll be turned to those other gods. Okay, they're, they're profaning the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. And some of your Bibles might translate this as the holiness uh, of the Lord. This could be either a reference to, to the temple, which would be profaned when these men come now to try and worship the Lord with their pagan women. Or it could be a reference to the people, um, people themselves having been profaned since they are to be holy, to be set apart. Judah has been uh, referred to as God's sanctuary elsewhere in Scripture. Um, And so it's it's a theme all throughout the Scripture, the separateness of God from evil and the separateness of God's people from evil is is how it's supposed to be. Um, I think the point is that God, God is holy and set apart. His people are a holy nation and to be set apart. And this mingling of of what, what is holy and set apart with what is idolatrous and evil is a profanity. It's an abomination, okay? And then Malachi pronounces a, a curse on those that would, that would do such a thing, okay? In, in verse 12, it may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts, and one commentator said, this is, this is expressed as a prayer calling for excommunication of the offending parties, resulting in their separation from the covenant people of God and by default from God himself. Okay, it's, it's no joke. 
to be, to be cut off like this. It had the common meaning of death. Okay, death. To be, to be excommunicated from the assembly of God's people and cast out from his presence was really the same as, as death because you can no longer expect to receive the benefits of being one of his children, which is life, eternal. Judgment is being called for here by Malachi because of the seriousness of this, because of this abomination. Okay, And so according to verse 12 then, who does this curse apply to? What Malachi is calling for here, who does it apply to? In a nutshell, that's it. The man who does this, okay? It's, it's for everyone who does this and is doing this. Well, unless she's going off and marrying the man of a foreign god. Um, so nobody escapes this, okay? These, these men, there's, there's never an excuse or an explanation for this abomination, no, there's no out. There's no way you can do this and then have some legitimate reason for doing this. Okay, It's an absolute rejection of the Word of God, a rejection of God. It's an abomination. Some other translations uh, of this in, in this verse um, say uh, the master and the scholar or being awake and aware or every last man who does this. Does anybody else have any of those? In verse 12 in theirs. Awake and aware. Yeah. yeah and the, the Hebrew word there really has that idea of anyone who wakes and answers. And the point is, of that verse, is that nobody escapes this. It's, it's everyone who does this. It's everyone. Um, it, it applies to all men who do this. And, and you can expect... You can expect death because of it. Therefore, all descendants of that man and the idolatrous woman are also cut off. Okay? Worse, they're, they're doing this and still trying to bring an offering to the Lord as if, nothing, as if nothing's going on and nothing's happened. Um, Malachi reminds them again who this word comes from when he indicates at the end of that verse who this word is coming from, right? the Lord of hosts. We saw that in, in chapter 1, the Lord of hosts, the, the Lord of armies is what it means, and that's who they're dealing with. Yeah. There's, I don't know the passage off the top of my head, but 
there's, this is very specific to this situation, uh, this particular pronouncement. Um, yeah, Vic. Exactly. They have. So they're going into God's house, and a crippled man, all types of reasons why you can't go in the house, but they just uh, blatantly go in the house regarding sin. And then they right. offer the, the sacrifice to the Lord and take them into court. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and the, the people of God that had not fallen into this would see that hypocrisy. Um, and it would, it would hurt them. It would harm them. Uh, the others that are participating in it, they don't care to call out the priests on it, and the priests don't care to call them out on it. You know, misery loves company. Uh, you know, they're just doing what they're doing. Um, just like, you know, if, if we were to, to be a part of a church where, uh, you know, the pastor of the church is doing the most horrific things out in the world and known for this and that violation of God, God's laws and and doing all these abominable things, and then we come sit here, and he talks about it as if he's not doing it, and people would sit here and listen, and you know, a lot of times they would stay because they're doing that same thing, and so, hey, they're all, they're all good together in that, but, but the people of God that are sitting there who re- recognize this would, would have to um, call them out on that, and if, if they're not going to listen, if there's not going to be a turning, then you, don't, you, you leave. You, don't, you can't be a part of that. Um, Right, and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, you can go through and read about all these abominations and and how God handled them, and just because God handled them in a particular way in the Old Testament, sometimes with instant justice. Okay, instantly divvying out the punishment that is deserved by that doesn't mean that's how God always does that. But ultimately, no one doing those things in an unrepentant fashion will escape that justice. They will get what's coming to them ultimately, um, unless they repent and put their faith in Christ for salvation, which they have to. They have to turn from that. Okay. Um, so it's, it's the Lord of armies that they're dealing with. And it's the, God is, is the God of every army, including angels. He commands all armies. And that's who's bringing this word upon them that he's calling them out for this great abomination, this treachery. Um, had Israel totally driven out all of the pagans from the promised land as God commanded them? This, Yeah. Right. They're demons. Yeah. But they're not outside of God's control either. Right. Sure. Well, the Holy Spirit is God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is not an angel. The Holy Spirit is is God. Okay. Yeah, just as long as we're clear on that. Just as long as we're clear on that. I just want to be sure we were clear. <laughs> um, 
So if Israel had done what they were supposed to and, and driven out all these pagans from the promised land like God had commanded them to do and to destroy everything, uh, they probably wouldn't be having the issues that they're having. But they didn't. They didn't obey God. They, they left remnants around. And these things constantly tug at them. The, the temptation of these other women, these other religions are, are constantly there. Um, it's been a, a constant infection among God's people throughout, throughout their history. Um, I wanted to look at another passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, looking at verses 9 through 13. And look at what God says to them here. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Okay, that's what the pagans were doing. They were, they were burning their children. Okay, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one uh, who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For uh, these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Okay. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 13, okay? So, this is what they were doing. They were, they were intermarrying. They were doing the exact thing that God commanded them not to do. And so, this came up earlier, but my question here about this, is there any relevance to Christians today who, who seek, who they seek to marry? Does this have any relevance to who we seek to marry as Christians today? Is this just, that's just old news, or? Yes. Is, is it any less of a threat today for a Christian to marry, intentionally, purposefully marry an unbeliever? Is there any less of a threat there than it was for them to intermarry in these pagan groups back then? No. No. So the, the same things apply, that, that the people of God are to be separate for God um, and, and not to be the scripture says not to be unequally yoked. And that's not just in marriage. That's any time as Christians that we might want to partner with somebody or some group or something like that. If, if that person or group is totally opposed to God and the things of God, what partnership have we with them? Okay, and you can read about that in, in 2 Corinthians 6. Um, we're, I'm past time now, but um, it's, it's extremely important. It's extremely bad and abominable what the people are doing here. Um, 
And the, the reason that God set out his law in this area was not to squash their hopes and dreams, uh, but, but to protect them against idolatry, against falsehood. And, the, and exactly what he said would happen has happened. They've gone after these foreign women, and not only are they attaching themselves to them and, and following after their gods, what do they do to get there? They divorced their wives, the wives of their youth. They divorced them to go off and do this thing. And that's what we'll look at, at next time when we come. Any other questions before we close? Yeah. 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 Solomon really blew it. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. This is um, God hasn't changed on this. Yeah, he's God never changes on anything. Um, this has always been the way that God has wanted His people to be separate from the world. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have interactions with unbelievers. We that would be impossible. We would have to not be here anymore. The scripture talks about that too. But we don't enter into partnership with them in terms of marriage and things that are completely against God. Um, we don't do that. We have to be separate from God. And it's a, it's a lifelong battle for us. It's a lifelong problem. And it'll pop its little head up in all kinds of different places in the church and among God's people. So it's something that we have to, we have to watch out for. And that's why at the end of, of the passage in verse 16, there's a warning there. Um, a warning for the people. And, of course, Scripture is full of tons and tons of warnings. So we're, we're way past time, so I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer, and then we'll, we'll dismiss. Uh, Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you uh, for these words, Lord. They're, they're hard words. They're, they're difficult. Uh, help us, Lord, not to look at these things as those people that did those things, as if we don't see it today and as if we haven't struggled with these things. Uh, Lord, this sin is, is still here. Um, it's still present. But help us, Father, in our, first of all, in our hearts and our minds, Lord, to believe you, to believe you are who you say you are, to, to lay it to heart, Lord, that your name is to be honored. And may that, may that flow out from us in our actions, in our attitudes, in our words. Or may we consider your word before we do things, before we make big decisions, Lord. Um, may we consider you and consider your word, your ways, um, as, our, as our source of direction. May we, as the scripture says, acknowledge you in all of our ways, Lord, and that you will make our path straight. We give you praise and thanks, Lord, for your, your goodness and your mercy for your forgiveness of a, of a sinful people. We thank you, Lord, <clears throat> for the gift of repentance and faith. And we, we praise you and we want to honor you in your son's name. Amen. Well, have a good night. Thank you, everybody.